Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. Follow along with me as I read it once more. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We're all probably all familiar with the song, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. You probably learned that as a child, and that's coming from this passage. I read it from the ESV. If you read it from the King James, you would have seen those words. And though we preach verse by verse, it's always interesting to see how God brings verses to bear just on special occasions. And we honor our mothers today. We're glad that you're with us. And this verse goes very uh, well with mothers. We weren't going to speak particularly about mothers today on Mother's Day, but this one is going to fit in just perfectly. And I trust that you will be encouraged. In, in, In the Bible you can see much that is made about the doctrine of justification or much that is made about the doctrine of sanctification or much that is made about the doctrine of glorification or regeneration or many of these different types of doctrines and they're wonderful and they should be uh, lauded and made much of because they're the pillars of our foundation. They're the pillars of the work of Christ in us to save us as sinners from hell. But there is a a doctrine that we will look at this morning that is most beautiful, that brings the love of God the Father into really a laser-like focus on the relationship that we have with Him, and that is the doctrine of adoption. The doctrine of adoption, which we will see in this passage this morning. And in all of all of Scripture, there may not be a more warm and loving and caring doctrine than that of adoption. That we are not only saved, but that we have been brought into the family of God. We have been adopted into the family of God. As we've been studying the book of 1 John, we have noted many times that John is speaking to the believers in Ephesians, in, in Ephesus. And he's seeking to encourage them and strengthen them in the assurance of their salvation. To provide ways, tests, means by which they could look to see if they are in the faith, and once they see whether they are in the faith, to that encourage them to press on in the faith. And today John provides another means of our assurance in that our salvation rests in our adoption by the Father into the family of God. We've not simply been regenerated, we have not been simply made right legally before the Father. That would be the doctrine of justification. We've not been simply made to be more like Him or in that process, that would be the doctrine of sanctification. We are not simply with the hope that we will one day be with Him for eternity. There would be the doctrine of glorification. But the doctrine of adoption teaches that we have a close, intimate, personal relationship with God the Father and then therefore Christ the Son. 
Or you may be asking, what is the definition of adoption? I think the Westminster Longer Catechism gives a clear definition. Question 74, what is adoption? Answer, quote, Adoption is an act of the free grace of God in and for His only Son, Jesus Christ, whereby all those that are justified are received into the number of His children, have His name put upon them, the spirit of His Son given to them, are under His fatherly care and dispensations, admitted to all the liberties and privileges of the sons of God, made heirs of all the promises and fellow heirs with Christ in glory. That by His grace, we have been brought into relationship with Him. It could be said that He could have just justified us, made us right before Him legally, but not adopted us, not claimed us as His own. He could bring us into glory and yet not have that personal relationship. And that's the wonderful, uh, loving warmth of this, do- of this doctrine, the doctrine of adoption. Turn in your Bibles from 1 John 3, where you're at, over to the book of Ephesians. Just a few pages back to your left there. Ephesians chapter 2. As we look further into this doctrine, we want to see that this object of God's love us being his object of our love through this adoption process did not have a very hopeful beginning. And I'm just going to look at a few passages here to remind us of that. Look with me at Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, The spirit that is now at work, and here's what I want you to note, in the sons of disobedience. Now, flip one page, maybe over to your right, look at Ephesians 5, verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What we're going to note here is that in our sin, we were sons of disobedience. We were unlovely. We weren't the model child that Christ would look out and see and want to adopt as his own. We didn't look cute or lovely. In fact, we looked deadly. And that would further magnify the love of the Father. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. On this Mother's Day, it would be noted that the strongest bond on earth is between a mother and her child. And yet that pales in comparison to the love of the Father that He has for us. See, a mother sees a child in its infancy, in its innocence, in its beauty. It smells so sweet. It looks so cute. It desires a mother's affection. It responds to her affection. And it creates this really powerful, beautiful image of a mother and a child. And yet the Father bestowed upon us the place of child of God with all the benefits and rights of the family while we were in our sin. He loved us when we were unlovely, 
He died for us when we were dead. And just in case there would be any possibility that we could comprehend that magnitude of love, he then says, I didn't just do it for you, I did it for all those that will call upon my name. That is the love of a father, demonstrated here on earth by the love of a mother for her child. John 1, 12-13, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and of a son, then an heir through God. Romans eight fourteen through 17. For all who are that by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spread of slavery to fall back in fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God and the children then heirs, heirs of God in Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Go back with me to 1 John 3. It should be noted, if you're reading from the ESV, you say the word see. It begins with the word see. If you're reading KJV, you'll see the word behold. There's, this, there's a command here from the Apostle John, really from the first word, to behold this to see this, to look at this, to meditate upon this, he demands that we place our attention upon our standing before God as sons because of his adoption of us. If you were to wake up in the morning and see a dramatic sunrise or at night see a dramatic sunset that demands that our eyes look at it, Paul, uh, the Apostle John is doing the same thing here, demanding, may we look at this. We see that same thought in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. And it could be so easy to, uh, for us to glance over the top of this and John realizes that this is, this is an assurance of, of our salvation, that we would stop And behold the wondrous mystery of this thought of adoption. That the love of the Father has been given to us and we are now called children of God. I want to note in our remaining time three things that we see in this text. The three things would be that adoption is a privilege. That adoption alienates. And that adoption transforms. Adoption is a privilege. Adoption alienates and adoption transforms. The first one, privilege, you see in verse 1a. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. The Father has bestowed this upon us. He's, he's given it to us. He's placed it upon us. And it only comes through the Father of lights with whom there is no variable, neither shadow of turning. He grants to us this title the title of child of God and there is nothing here on this earth that we could hold as a greater title you may be president you may be vice president 
You may be general. You may be all the different titles that we hold in this world. There's nothing greater than the title of child of God. Uh, of child of God. And I want you to, to note, my Bible says, and so we are. It's an instant transaction. You know, you think of adoption, the adoption process, where we, you may go overseas or to some part of the U.S. and you want to adopt a child in this long, drawn-out process of raising lots of money and going through customs if you're overseas. And this takes a long time. And then somebody else says, okay, we've decided you may have this child. And even then, you wait a long period of time. And then you go over and find the child and you see them. And even then, you have to wait before you get back home. No, that's, it's an instant transaction in the family of God. And so we are. He declares it. He makes it sure. The deed is done. He commands and it stands fast for all of eternity. It's, it's marked down in the book of life. I love the phrase in, in Christ alone, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. That's the surety of our salvation through adoption. Not only is adoption a privilege bestowed by the Father, adoption as sons of God now gives us right to certain privileges in the family. I have ten privileges that I could see in Scripture, and I just would encourage you to write these down and write down the verse with them and meditate upon them later. First privilege that we can see is in here in 1 John 3, 1. We have the privilege of love of the Father, the love of the Father. This is something that's been gifted to us. You think of, of the physical family that you're in and you may have the love of your father, but you don't have the love of someone else's father. Not in that same familial way. We have the love of God, the father. It's been given to us. That's a privilege. Number two, we have access to the father. Matthew 6, 9 Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We have access to the throne of grace. My family, my mom's family is from New Orleans, predominantly Catholic, and they'll often say, I've been, my grandfather will say it all the time, I've been praying to God for you. He's not a believer. He doesn't have access to the throne. He can pray all he likes, but it does nothing. But we have the privilege as sons of access to the Father. Number three. Number one, love. Number two, access. The third privilege is we have the understanding of the Father. Psalm 103, 13 through 14. As a father shows compassion to his children, show the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He understands that we are dust. The understanding of the Father. Psalm 103, 13 through 14, that we have the understanding of the Father. Perfect understanding, isn't it? It's not short. You know, as a, as a father with young children, I often wonder, what are they thinking? Our Heavenly Father knows what we're thinking. Four, we have the care of the Father. The fourth privilege, we have the care of the Father. Matthew 6.32, 
For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Number five, we've been given good gifts from the Father. That's a privilege. Matthew seven eleven. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Good gifts from the Father. It's a privilege. The sixth privilege, we have an internal, eternal inheritance from the Father. An eternal inheritance from the Father. Galatians 4, 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. 1 Peter 1, 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. An eternal inheritance. Seventh privilege. We have forgiveness from the Father. We've studied earlier in 1 John, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess with our, our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what that passage is not speaking about is this justification type of forgiveness where he forgives us eternally. This is talking about a relationship and where we break that relationship through our sin and we we come back into close fellowship with the Father as we confess our sin. Just as a child has a father and maybe they dishonor their father and there's that tension there. The, The father still loves the child wholeheartedly. But there's not that close fellowship. And yet once there's restoration of that relationship through forgiveness, the father's love is not changed. But now it is seen more clearly with the son. Number eight, let me review. Number one is love of the father. Two, access to the father. Three, understanding of the father. Four, care of the father. Five, good gifts from the father. Six, an eternal inheritance from the father. Seven, forgiveness, daily forgiveness from the Father. Number eight, discipline from the Father. Discipline from the Father. In a day and age where fatherhood is mocked, in a day and age where there are few fathers that will love their children in a way that will correct them in the path that they should go, We have a father that disciplines us and he disciplines us by his grace in his love. Hebrews 12, 5 through 6. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And that's quoting Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. Commanding then, in Proverbs 3, that us fathers would discipline our children in love and then shown, exemplified by the Heavenly Father. Number nine, we have access now to the family of the Father. The family of the Father. You get a new family when you come, when you are adopted as sons and daughters of the King. Galatians 6.10 So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You go to 1 Timothy 3, and we are instructed there to treat older men as fathers and older women as mothers and younger men as brothers and younger women as sisters. We have a new family. And then number 10, we have a perfect example in the Son. 
It's a privilege that we have a perfect example in the son. You think of a, a child that is adopted into a family. And he comes into this family and he wants to know, how do I act in this family? And maybe there's an older child and he can look to that child as an example, but he doesn't get a perfect example. And yet when we're adopted into the family of God, we get a perfect example. The Son of God, Ephesians 5.1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We have, we have privileges. The main privilege being that we have been given this right. But then we have inerrant privileges, things that we gain from being in the family of God. And we've just listed ten. Adoption is a privilege. Number two, adoption alienates. Adoption alienates. Look back with me at 1 John 3, in the second half of verse 1. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. John 1.11, he came to his own and his own received him not. Isaiah 53, 2-3, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Think of Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes. How, how controversial is that compared to what the world holds to? The world holds to power and strength. And here we see in Matthew 5 the Beatitudes, poor in spirit, those that are broken, those that are persecuted for righteousness sakes, those that are merciful. We do not look like the world that is around us and yet we often wonder as Christians, why aren't we accepted? Why doesn't anybody like us? Why don't they speak kindly to us? Because the world does not know Christ and so he will not know, they will not know us. I think that there may not be a more clear example in our world today of something that is so controversial than a wife and a mother who, who chooses by the grace of God to stand for that which God has called her to, to give her life, to serve and submit to her Savior, and in therefore doing, serve and submit to her husband. A wife and mother that will give her life and her body to the raising of children and the nurturing and admonition of the Lord. A wife and a mother that will desire to daily die to herself and give of herself to her children. It is so against all that the world says. And yet it is so glorious and at the same time so odd. And the world looks at it and says, you're crazy. You have so much you could do. And why this? Why that? And yet it's an opportunity to proclaim the gospel because we've submitted our lives and many of the mothers that are here. And that's why we honor you today, because you are submitting yourself to a task that is in opposition to all that seems to be true by the world's standards. The gospel alienates. Adoption alienates. Adoption, number three, transforms. Adoption is a privilege. Adoption alienates. Number three, adoption transforms. Look with me at verse two and three of First John 3.
Notice he starts with beloved. Now that we are children of God, so we are. Now we are beloved, beloved. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Adoption transforms. But adoption transforms in two ways. Adoption transforms physically and adoption transforms spiritually. Adoption transforms physically and it transforms spiritually. It transforms us like him in holiness. You see that in verse 3. But it also transforms our physical bodies as well. There may not be a, a more wonderful testimony of the ethnic diversity of the gospel than to see a family um, adopt children of different ethnicities, of different nationalities, of different tongues. Because it, it shows that the gospel goes to all the world, every tongue, tribe, and nation. And to see that lived out in a family is a beautiful thing. But it is different, isn't it? You notice the differences. There may be different eyes, different hair color, different skin tone, different physical features, different accents. Now that compare that to a biological child. And you may often hear as a child, you look so much like your father. You look so much like your mother. That an adopted child doesn't have those same recognizable features. And that would be the same thing with us. We don't have those same recognizable features in their fullness as adopted sons of God. But in Christ, through his forgiving and transforming grace, our character is being conformed more and more to his image. And our bodies, though still subject to disease and illness, subject to to pain and tears, are and one day will be transformed as well. We will gain new bodies. We will not have pain, illness, or tears. They will be eternal bodies and they will be of the same body type as Christ. Not in all things. Morally, we will be without sin, physically without illness, disease, or imperfection, mentally without error, emotionally pure, but we will also not be omniscient or omnipresent. But one day, we will be like him physically, and yet we will also be like him spiritually. That hope of transformation spiritually that comes to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that comes as the bestowing love of the Father comes upon us and provides us the necessary energy and motivation to desire to be like him. Matthew Henry says, the sons of God must walk by faith and live by hope. We are, we are commanded by God to be holy as he is holy. But now as sons of the Father, we have the inclination to do so. We have the desire to do so. We have the hope to do so. Hope is an extremely powerful force. If you don't have hope, you don't have a motivation and an ability to do them something you would probably not otherwise do. Uh, as I was preparing on this, the thought came to my mind of when I was in alert. Some of you know I went through that about 12 years ago. and It's a program that trains young men 
And one of the things we do in basic training is we take lots of hikes. And they are progressive in their length and in their intensity and they'll culminate in a 24-hour hike where we strap on a pack for 24 hours. And you hike the Ozarks over there in Arkansas. But if you go in with no hope of finishing, you will quickly bail out. We had a young man on our team about three miles in. Three miles in. He's less than 30 minutes into this hike. He quit. And we fought him physically, literally, trying to keep him going, give him hope. You can do this. And he bailed out. He didn't have any hope. And there was others of us that had hope. And we, our first glimpse that we might get this done is when the sun goes down. But now you know you have 12 more hours. And you begin to lose hope. And as you're hiking these logging trails up and down, up and down, you'll come up over the top of a ridge and you'll look out and you'll go, look, the sun is rising. No, it's not. It's just the lights from a far off town. But there's that glimmer of hope that maybe the next hill will provide the real sunrise. And I had a friend of mine who was in my group there and he could tell time by the stars. And it was great. Because we didn't have any watches on, we didn't know what time was, but he could be over there going, guys, it's it's three o'clock, we've been another hour, we've just got a few more hours to go. It provided hope, and it gave us the ability to do something we would not have otherwise been able to do. Hope is an extremely powerful motivation and energy. It spurs us on in holiness, verse three. Because we have this, we have a hope, steadfast and sure, that we have been given to us by God the Father as children of the Father. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of son, children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Romans 5, 5. And hope maketh not ashamed... Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. That hope that we've been given as children through adoption is what spurs us on day after day. This is, for, for mothers, this is what you've got to hold on to, to press forward when all else seems to be going against you, is to, to hold to that hope. That Christ is working in us and will one day be with us for eternity. We shall see him as he is. And we don't see him as he is. Calvin notes this. John Calvin notes this. We don't see him as he is. We don't become like him because we see him. We see him because he is changing us inside to be like him. How do you gain that hope though? You, you go to Christ. You, you behold the kind of love the Father has for you. You see what kind of love the Father has given to us. If you don't know Christ, you surrender yourself to Christ. And that hope is then granted to you. Christ was the perfect Son He gives us the ability to cry, Abba, Father. That sweet cry of of familial relationship. The warmth of relationship with the Son and the Father exists because of the perfection of the Son of God. His work of love and glory to the Father 
allows us the privilege of adoption. That's what you go behold. And when you are beholding that, that is where you either get your hope renewed or as a new believer, you get hope for the first time. In closing, I want to leave you with a hymn that I came upon as I was preparing here. This is Isaac Watts. who wrote this hymn, and it's a relatively obscure one. It's called, Behold What Wondrous Grace. And he wrote it with 1 John 3 in mind. Let me read it to you. Behold what wondrous grace the Father has bestowed on sinners of a mortal race to call them sons of God. Tis no surprising thing that we should be unknown. The Jewish world knew not their king, God's everlasting son. Nor doth it yet appear how great we must be made. But when we see our Savior here, we shall be like our head. A hope so much divine may trials well endure, may purge our souls from sense and sin as Christ the Lord is pure. If in my Father's love I share a filial part, send down thy spirit like a dove to rest upon my heart. We would no longer lie like slaves beneath the throne. My faith shall Abba Father cry and thou the kindred own. This is a beautiful, beautiful hymn calling us to behold this wonderful love of the Father in adopting us as children. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wondrous love that has been given to us not earned or claimed, but provided to us by your free grace. It provides us, Father, a privilege. It provides us comfort in a world that knows you not and therefore rejects us. It provides us transforming power through your Spirit that drives us forward in Christ-likeness with a hope that is not to be ashamed of, with a hope that is steadfast and sure, immovable, fixed. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love for us. We see, Father, that you've justified us, that you've regenerated us, that you're sanctifying us. You will one day glorify us but we see your love magnified in, in many, many ways through this doctrine of adoption. And Father, may that grant us assurance in our faith. <coughs> may it help us to see, Father, once again, your love and provide for us that motivation to keep going, to press forward in holiness, Father, remember our mothers today. Many not having their mothers here. Maybe their mothers have passed on and we reflect on your kind gift to us through our mothers. 
We thank you, Father, for mothers that love Jesus. And I pray, Father, that the mothers here today might gain hope and encouragement and strength to continue to press forward in the high calling that they have of caring for the home and raising children. Pray, Father, that they might see your love in such a magnificent way for them as you adopting them as children in their deadliness and how much greater your love is for them, that you care for them, that you understand them, that you have compassion upon them, that you draw them, that you guide them, that you provide for them. We rejoice in that, Father, whether we are mothers here today or men and boys that have been granted that same adoption as children of the Father. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and kindness to us. and We thank you, Father, for your forgiving grace and we thank you, Father, for your empowering grace to continue to pursue that holiness. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.